Well, you all picked the ideal week to be in church. Because guess what we're talking about? Money. Everybody's favorite topic. And it's too late to be sick today. So, no dipping out now. I am super excited about this. Can I be honest with you? I was not excited at all about preaching about money. I was just not, I was not looking forward to this topic at all. But as I was preparing for it this week, I'm super excited about this message. I'm super excited about what God wants to say to us. Wow, the Lord is speaking now. (laughs) I'm super excited about what God wants to say to us through this text and through this topic this morning. So we're going to be in Genesis chapter 4. If you got your Bible, go ahead and open there. Genesis chapter 4, this is probably not a story we think of when we think of money, but it's a story where the principles about money are founded. Story of Cain and Abel, Genesis chapter 4. If you remember last week, while you're turning there, we talked about a couple things we need to agree on in this series. The number one thing we need to agree on is that everybody's going to be uncomfortable at some point this series. So rather than saying, hey, this topic doesn't really affect me, and sitting here thinking about our friend that we need to text to go listen to this sermon, we say, the truth is for me, even if the topic doesn't affect me. Everybody with me? The second agreement that we make is that God gets our yes, whether we like the topic or not. That doesn't mean I get your yes. doesn't mean anybody else up here teaching gets your yes. But that means if we say, ooh, I didn't like that. That may be uncomfortable. Then we commit to say, no, I'm going to figure out. I'm going to make sure what Scripture says. And if that is what Scripture says, then I agree with Scripture, even if I don't like it. Amen? All right. Genesis chapter 4, we're going to start in verse 1. Adam made love to his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out into the field. While they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Really light reading to start off this morning. Let's pray. God, this is your word, and it is right for us to remind ourselves of that every time we open it. It's your word, it's your truth, it's your goodness that we seek. So let our opinions and perspectives be laid down, that we would be formed by you, by your word, and by your Holy Spirit speaking to us through this word. We love you. Amen. Have any of you ever been given a bad gift? Anybody? You've been given a gift that you're just like, you clearly don't know me that well. Thank you for trying. Yeah. We've talked about this before at the fold. Um, This is why, for, for the record, I'm a big list guy. Love, I love lists, I like registries, I like Christmas lists, that kind of stuff. I know some of you are like, well, I'm an off-lister, and you've never met an off-lister who's as good at it as I am, and I have. And I just, just want you to know there's a reason why I really like the list. Um, but all, all of that is to say, uh, well, there's, there's a really 
there's a way around this. There's a really easy gift that's perfect for every situation that everybody likes, everybody appreciates. It's pretty obvious. You know what it is. It is not cash. It's a gift card. A gift card is the hands-down, bar-none, best gift. Why? Because it's money I have to spend on something that I want. Duke Energy will not allow me to pay my electric bill with a Cabela's gift card, right? That money has to go to something that I want to buy. Praise the Lord. Now, this story, it would be easy for us to look at this story and think, oh, this is a story about a bad gift. God didn't get what he wanted. God didn't get what he expected from Cain. Maybe Cain went off list. Maybe Cain thought he was better at it than he really was. But in order to see this story as a bad gift is to miss the depth of what's going on here. A lot of times we miss what's going on in Scripture because we don't necessarily notice what it's not saying. There are a couple things that are important in this story that the text doesn't say. First off, God never asks for a gift. God never asks Cain and Abel to bring anything before him. There was something about Cain and Abel's relationship with God. There was something about God's presence with them that told them naturally it was right to bring some sort of offering. So they both brought an offering because it was natural to the relationship. It was intuitive. And second, God never gets angry at Cain. God doesn't condescend Cain. He doesn't punish Cain. He actually warns Cain. He looks at Cain and says, why are you downcast? If you do what is right, but if you don't, sin is crouching at your door. God's response to Cain is not, how dare you? God's response to Cain is, be careful. Now that tells us something about the character of God. It's very important. A good way to understand what's going on in this story is through what's probably going to be a very uncomfortable analogy. Just going to throw that out there beforehand. My wife and I have been married for eight years. I talk about my wife all the time because I like her, and I try really hard to earn brownie points during sermons that will work out later. We've been married for eight years, and I want you to imagine this. So you know that we've been married for a long time now. Imagine that I've also got a friend, maybe that's a childhood friend, that I grew up with really close that's a girl. Let's imagine that you follow me on Instagram or on, we're friends on Facebook. I still use Facebook. I realize that maybe I shouldn't, but I'm still on Facebook. And you notice that, man, every time my friend has a birthday, that I'm just like, I'm tagging her. You're so awesome, so proud of you. You're incredible. And I never really post anything about my wife. Kind of weird, right? We can agree on that? Well, imagine this. Imagine... Imagine that my friend comes into church and she's got this just very extravagant, very expensive necklace on. And you say, wow, that's really beautiful. Where'd you get that? And they say, oh, CJ got that for me for my birthday. Now, that's not weird necessarily, but it would be weird if then you noticed that my wife had a bracelet on that was just very clearly not very expensive. And you said you were trying to be nice, you know, and you're like, oh, it's lovely, Where'd you get it? And she was like, oh, CJ got it for me for my birthday. It'd be odd, right? It'd be weird. You know why it would be weird? Because the gift doesn't reflect the relationship. Because gifts were given outside of a relationship, 
that was, and that made it out of balance because the relationship with my wife required me to do something with my resources. And I was living in a way that might not have been breaking the rules, but is just kind of icky. It doesn't reflect the relationship. Now, if that happens, then you might say something to me like, CJ, I've noticed that you haven't been using your resources equitably here. You're not really treating your wife the way this relationship merits. CJ, sin is crouching at your door. Be careful. And then if I, if I in response, now let's say a couple weeks go by and Jen doesn't wear that bracelet anymore. And you notice, and you're like, oh, what happened to that brand new beautiful bracelet that your husband bought you? And she says, oh, I, I barely even noticed that it's gone. I keep forgetting to put it on. Now, if I gave her a gift that didn't reflect the relationship. Now, an expensive gift is not, does not always reflect the relationship. It's the balance of giving. We all see that, right? It's if I was spending a lot of money outside my home and not being generous inside. Or maybe if I was wearing really expensive clothes, but I was being really stingy with my family. I was spending money in a way that doesn't reflect the relationship. Now, but if my wife didn't really notice the gift anymore, she didn't really wear it. And then I got really angry because she didn't notice the gift that was not equitable. Then you would once again, you would look at me and say, CJ, why are you downcast? Why are you so upset? Don't you see that sin is crouching at your door? Because you're not treating this relationship with the respect that it merits. There's a principle here in this story. This principle is incredibly important. This principle is woven all throughout Scripture. We see it first here in this story, but it's in the laws of the Old Testament, in Leviticus, it's in the Psalms, it's in Proverbs, it's in the prophets, it's in the life of Jesus, it's in Paul's letters, it's in every epistle, it's even reflected in the book of Revelation when we talk about the new world coming. This principle is called the first fruits principle often, and it can basically be summed up like this. God gets first and best. Why? Because God is first and is best. Not because he requires first and best, but because he is first and best. Because it's part of the relationship. And that principle is so important for a very specific reason. Because what I do with my resources reflects my relationship to God. What I do with my resources reveals my relationship with God. Human beings, every single one of us, we are broken. We don't need to be convinced of that. We can turn on the news and see that. The reality is that every single one of us have been born into the system of sin, and we've also bought into the system of sin. And what that means is we, by default, turn inward. We, by default, look at ourselves, whether it's fear, whether it's self-protection, or whether it's self-absorption. Self is always the thing that's the same in sin. We always turn inward. What that means is that our resources are the first thing we reach for when we're turning inward towards ourselves, when we're building walls of protection around ourselves, when we're building kingdoms and empires that build up and protect ourselves. Resources are always the first thing we think of. They're the first thing that we reach for, which is why in the first four chapters of the Bible, we see such an important story about this principle that deeply affects humanity. Because Cain's gift reflected his relationship. 
Abel gave first and best, Cain gave some. See, that's the difference. Every single one of us is born into sin, which means every single one of us has this struggle in our lives. Now, Jesus said it like this. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart is. So in other words, where you see your resources go is where you see your attention go. It's where you see your intentions go. It's what shapes your perception, where your treasure is, where your things are, what you're holding valuable. Well, that's what has your heart. James, later on, said it a little bit like this. He said, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. This is a really light and uplifting message, isn't it? Everybody feeling good? Everybody excited? Gosh, I feel like I just told you that, like, your dog died or something like that. Um, You probably didn't. Um, (laughs) James said the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Now, this is important. It's important for us to take a step aside here because James didn't say money is evil. And a lot of people treat it like that. A lot of people treat it like money is evil. But if you were to read, let's say, the book of Proverbs, then what you would find is over and over and over again in the book of Proverbs is wisdom and instruction on how to save, on how to work hard, on how to use money to bless your family, on how to use money to bless the world around you, on how to use money even to enjoy. It's instructed in Proverbs over and over and over again. But the assumption in that book is that everyone reading it is living under the principle of the first fruits because their hearts are oriented to God, and that is reflected in their relationships, as reflected in their resources. God is first and best, which means money is not pulling our hearts so that we can use it for the good tool that it is. But the way we use our resources reflects our relationship with God. Where your treasure is, there your heart is also. So James isn't saying money is wrong. What he's saying is be careful. Sin is crouching at your door because the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And what that means is that if you were to look at some of the things that we would say, wow, that's the greatest evil in the world, that's doing a lot of damage. I really feel like something's happening this morning. If you were to look at Maybe if I stop talking, it'll stop. No, I'm just going to keep going. If you were to look at some of the things in the world that are the great, that we would say, man, that's doing the most damage. If you might say human trafficking, you might say drugs, you might say pornography. Well, what you would find is that those industries are not necessarily driven by addiction, they're driven by profits. The drug industry isn't led by a whole bunch of people who are addicted to drugs. It's led by people who are making money off of other people's addictions. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. In other words, sin is crouching at your door. Be careful. Because what you do with your resources reflects your relationship with God. Why? Because where your treasure is, there your heart is also. It's a principle of human existence. And this is deeply important. God didn't ask for the gift. Something in Cain and Abel told them that this was the right thing to do in response to the relationship. But Abel saw God as first and best, and Cain saw God as something. So Cain gave God some, and Abel gave God first and best. In other words, Abel saw the relationship for what it was. He saw the generosity, kindness, provision, and faithfulness of God. But Cain saw God as a means, so he gave God some. God doesn't give us the principle of the first fruits for his good. He gives it to us for our good. This is incredibly important. God doesn't have a bank account that we build up when we give. 
God institutes this principle for our good, not for his good. I don't know what this looks like for you. For some of us, it could be as simple as we look at our resources, and honestly, we're just nervous. It's just, it's fear driving. We're not, try, we're not choosing greed, but when we look at our resources, we have a really hard time trusting a provider because the only way we see to provide is to hold, to keep, to protect, to keep in. And maybe for some of us, it's just, we just don't really think about it that often. We think of God and money as very separate things. We think of God and time, God and resources, very separate things. So we love God. We think of God as first and best in our life, but that just never really makes it into the way we spend our money. We think of money as for going to Taco Bell or going on vacation, and God is for praying in church. Maybe for some of us, it's a lot different. Maybe for some of us, it actually is that sort of perspective that says, you know what? I believe in God and everything, but this world runs on money, so money's what I've got. Money is what I'm going to keep. I believe in God and I serve the dollar. I'm going to build my own empire. This principle affects all of us. Now, God responds to this principle in the law by instituting what we know as the tithe. Tithe means 10%. Tithe it means 10. Just for the record, 2 is not a tithe, 7 is not a tithe, and 15 is not a tithe. 10% is a tithe. And what that meant in the Old Testament, there were very specific laws that said the first 10% of everything that you harvest goes into the storehouses of the Lord. What that meant was that every time the people of Israel harvested, every time they kept, every time they gathered, in the gathering process, they had to remind themselves that they didn't need to keep it all to themselves because their God was a faithful provider. There were specific instructions that you don't sort out the sick lambs and give those to God, and you don't sort out the brown fruit and give that to God. No, you give first whatever is first. That's why it's the first fruits principle. Why? Because every time you look at a good lamb or a good apple going by, you're saying, you know what? God can have that because he gave it to me and he'll give me another. God is the provider. See, it was a way of orienting their very existence around their relationship with God. God is first and best. Why? Because God is generous, kind, faithful, loving, always compassionate, slow to anger, because that's who he is, and that is first and best. It was an orientation around God as provider. So he institutes this into the law. In fact, if you were to look at the book of Malachi, Malachi chapter 3, what you see is God responding to Israel. And he actually says, you have robbed me. Big accusation. But what he says is, you have robbed me because you didn't bring in the full tithe, not the full ten. And this is what's crazy about God. He says, test me and see. Call my bluff. You don't actually believe that I'm a provider? You don't actually believe that you can trust me. I dare you to bring it all in and see if I will not. This is what book of Malachi chapter 3 says. Open up the floodgates of heaven and provide. In other words, if you don't think you can trust me, try it. Because my character is trustworthy. All of this centers around relationship to God. The way we treat our resources reflects our relationship to God. It reflects whether we really trust his character. It reflects whether we really understand his generosity. All right, you guys with me? Uh, this is a little bit like drinking from a fire hose. This is really more of a teaching than a sermon this morning. So if you're still with me, say first and best. All right, that was like 95% of you, so we're good. Um, now, 
we live in a world right now that really likes to ask questions, really likes to deconstruct, and that's not a bad thing. It's good to ask questions, and I want to say this. I've said this a lot of times, and I'll say this a lot more. The Bible can handle your questions, and God's not afraid of your doubts. The issue is that when we ask questions and deconstruct, when we realize that the answer is the same thing it was before we asked, we have to be okay with that. Here's one of the questions, here's one of the things that I hear a lot right now about money in relation to the church. People will say this, hey, did you know that tithing is never mentioned in the New Testament? Now, that's true. Tithing is not mentioned in the New Testament, but you know what it is? First fruits. In fact, Jesus is called the firstborn of creation, the first fruits of the dead. In other words, Jesus was God's first and best. God never expects us to live in a principle that he doesn't also live in himself. So when he tells us to give our first and best, he gave his first and best to us. Why? To accomplish his mission. Did you know that the tithe in the Old Testament did not go into an investment account to build God's Rafa IRI? No, it went to the work of the kingdom of God in the world. It went to the teaching of the word, the sacrificial system, and the providing of needs for the poor in the community. It went to the work of God in the world. So when we give to the mission of God, we're actually giving to the system that brought Jesus into the world. So when we give into God's mission, he is giving his first and best, and his mission is our reconciliation and our redemption. Why can you trust God as first and best? Because he's continually committed to your good. Because that's his character. That's who he is. And he actually dares you to test him. And see. So in the New Testament, we see the principle of first fruits. And actually, the early church was largely Jewish. Most of the early Christians were Jewish people, which means that they still practiced the same customs. Now, they didn't live by the law. In other words, they didn't live by weighing and measuring everything, but they saw the law as the standard or the bar, and they lived by the principle. So they might not have spent a whole lot of time stressing out on whether it was 95 or 11.5%, but they did live by the principle of first fruits, that God was first and best. It would have been the basic practice. In fact, in the Didache, which is one of the early Christian writings that was given specifically by early church fathers, early church leaders, on how to teach non-Jewish believers how to live, in the Dash in chapter 13, it specifically says to bring in the tithe into Um, And it says to give it into the local community. In other words, in the early church, the same principle was being practiced. The principle that God gets first and best. Why? Because the way we treat our resources reflects the character, the way that we understand God's character. The way we treat our resources reflects our relationship to God. Now, you guys tired of talking about money yet? Because I'm getting there. But here's the thing. This made it into the first four chapters of the Bible. Money is one of the most common things Jesus talked about. It's one of the most commonly covered topics in the Bible. And it's one of the things we hate to talk about the least, which means it's one of the most dangerous things that we deal with on a regular basis. Why? Because the way you treat your resources reflects your relationship with God. It tells us whether we actually believe that God is first and best whether we actually believe that we can trust him. It tells us whether we actually believe that he has lived in continual faithful generosity to us. It tells us whether we actually believe he will provide our needs and that he is dependable. 
Because when we look at our resources and we say, you know what, I don't need to keep, I don't need to hold, I don't need to protect, I don't need to hoard, but rather I can trust, then what we are telling is our very being, the way that we interact with the world, we are saying to our whole selves, God will provide and I can trust. It's all about the character of God. This principle does not help God, it helps us. It's not for God. It's for us. God doesn't need to be richer. He already has everything he needs, but he gives us this principle because there's something innate in human beings that needs to acknowledge this relationship that we can completely and ultimately depend in everything on the generosity of God, that he will provide and he will take care of us. So here's where I want to wrap this up this morning. I don't, I don't know where you're at. For some of us in this room, it's completely possible for us to actually tithe, but to not live by the principle of first fruits. Because we can give, but we can give just to check our spiritual box without it actually affecting our hearts, without it even hurting, without really even noticing that it's gone. We do it to gain some sort of entrance. We do it to get something from the Lord. We don't do it because God is first and best. That's completely possible. So there might be some of us in this room that for you, what your response to this message is, is to examine your heart and ask yourself, is God really first and best or are you just checking the Christian box? For some of us in this room, you might be looking at your resources and you were just like, I don't have an extra 10%. I don't have an extra 5%. I don't have an extra, I don't have extra. And maybe what you need to allow, to allow the Lord to do is to minister his provision to your heart and you need to test and see that he is completely trustworthy, that he is completely faithful, that he is completely good. Maybe for some of you this morning, honestly, you just haven't thought about how God and money go together. You haven't noticed the fact that like our treasure and our hearts are distinctly connected and you need to allow your commitment to the Lord to affect every area of your life. You need to allow God to be first and best in everything. Maybe you're here this morning and you're just like, listen, I'm terrified. And I don't think I can do that. Maybe if that's you, then this is what I want to tell you to do. Maybe you're not in a place where you can give 10%. Maybe you're not in a place where you can give to where it hurts. Maybe giving even just a little bit hurts right now. Here's what I want to tell you to do. Just start giving and don't count the percentage. God is faithful. God is kind and God will provide. And here's the last thing that I'm going to say this morning, probably. I deeply believe in the vision and mission of the fold. I believe that this vision and mission is from the Lord. I believe that God has commissioned us to see the healing and wholeness of Jesus transform people's lives in Greenville and in the world by helping them find home, family, and purpose in Jesus. I believe that that is from the Lord. And the unfortunate reality is that it takes resources to accomplish that mission. We've got an incredible staff team here that live mostly as volunteers. And we'd love to be able to pay those staff what they're worth. We would love to be able to get to a point where we look at our budget and we're like, we've got so much extra, let's just do something ridiculously generous to 
Let's, let's send a missionary fully funded. Let's do something crazy that reflects the character of God. We'd love to be able to do that. It, it's blind to not talk about money. Money keeps the lights on. But here's what I want to tell you. It is more important for you to be living under the principle of the first fruits than it is for you to be giving your money here. I'm not preaching this to you so that we can lift our budget or so that somebody can get a raise. This message is covered in this series because it is core to the teaching of Scripture and the way that, our, that we interact with our resources reflects our relationship with God. So if you're here today and you're like, you know what, I don't know if I really believe in that mission. That mission doesn't get me excited, but the mission of Rocky Creek down the road does. Then give there. If you're here today and you're like, you spent 40 minutes talking to me about money this morning, there is no way that I'm giving. I understand that. I might not either if I were sitting in the seats. Then go somewhere you can give and give there because it's more important for you to be living in this principle than for the fold's budget to go up because this is a principle that allows you to walk closer to the person you were created to be. It allows you to walk in freedom from the bondage of resources and to actually live in the fullness of Christ, in the full dependence on God's provision. If you live under the first principle, you will see God's provision continually in your life. I'm not telling you God will give you a Cadillac, but I am telling you he will give you everything you need. And I can testify to that from time and time again in our lives from times when we didn't know if we were going to be able to pay the bills to times when 10% just really didn't seem like that much. I can tell you that living in this principle is releases your heart from the need to pursue things and empowers your heart to pursue and trust and live in the character of God. And this is why we're talking about money this morning because God is actually good enough and you actually can trust him and you are missing out on the life you were created for if you're not trusting him in this area. I want everything God has for you. I want everything God has for me. The way we interact with our resources reflects our relationship with God. You can trust him. As we worship, as we close in worship, this is what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm not going to ask you to write a check. I'm not going to ask you to do anything like that. I just want you to allow the Holy Spirit to show you whether God is actually first and best. And in response to that, let's declare in worship that he is first and best in our lives and in our hearts. And let's let that decision affect how we treat our resources. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, you are good. You are kind. You are faithful. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you did not ask us to do something that you did not first do yourself we thank you that you gave your first and best, Jesus, on the cross for us to pay for our sin. We thank you that we actually can trust you. That we actually can trust you. Now God, I ask that you would show us what the next step is for us to position you as first and best in our hearts. Show us what it is that we need to know to trust you fully. Show us what it is that we need to do to practice trusting you fully. God, we do not want to miss out on any of your provision. We do not want to miss out on any of your generosity. We do not want to miss out on any of the life that we were created for. So show us what the next thing for us to do is in trusting your goodness and your character. 
We love you, Jesus. You are and always have been first and best. But we thank you that even though you don't need us, that we were the thing you were pursuing. We are the thing you are pursuing. That your mission is for our good. We love you, Lord. Amen.